Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Shulman. And I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 6, Episode 19, Mommy Dearest. Let's get this show on the road. Hi folks, we just want to let you know that at the beginning of this recording, Mary had some issues with her mic. The sound quality from the audio improves at roughly 14 minutes in. Thanks for your understanding, and sorry. This is the last episode before the man who would be king. (laughs) It's the TikTok you put out for anyone who hasn't seen it. Go check out her TikTok at Carrying Wayward. Sat there watching it being like, yep, that's me. Is this one bad? Is this a bad one? (laughs) Getting into an episode where like, several things I predicted have come true and like have kind of wrapped up in a way like I'm even more excited for next episode although I am very worried I may have predicted what's going to happen and I'm very worried I mean listen at this point we only have three episodes left in season six which is wild to me I loved this episode I'm just gonna get it out there right now I thought this was a phenomenal episode season six as a whole I started very lukewarm on And I am now loving it so much. And it's the first time that I really genuinely feel like it deserves a second watch through. Like other seasons were fun. And I'm sure if I watched them again, I'd get a little more out of them. But I feel like this season, more than the past five, have really had those like, if you go back and watch a Crowley episode, knowing what we know now from this episode, I'm sure there's a thousand little things you'd be like, oh. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get started with the recap, and uh, we'll dive into the episode right after that. I'll count you down. Three, two, one, Mommy Dearest. We have the Phoenix Ash. We only have a little bit of it. We don't know if it's going to work, but we're going to try. And they get Cass to help them, and he's like, I can't find Eve. Who can find Eve? Why? Surprise, it's a Buffy guest star. And we get our friendly vampire, who says... I'll tell you where she is if you end my life because I don't want to be this thing anymore. And Cass is all too easily and willing to help her with that, which was horrifying a little bit, but like also the creepiest death we've had in a while. So they know where she is now and they're going to try to find Eve. I called it was the waitress, by the way, the second they sat in that diner, I knew it from the second she walked by them. And this town is full of like multiplying dead guy. And then it looks like it might be a bunch of monsters, but they're not like good and they're like falling apart and failing and it's because she's trying to mash a bunch of monsters together into jefferson starships and then there's like the town is full of them and it turns they're actually doing really well including a kid that sneaks past them because he can be undetected so they've accidentally sent this kid off to like destroy a whole town but demons stopped him weird we have questions anyways eve's now like i want to be the crowley role and i'm gonna ask you to work for me just like you did for crowley because i need you to find crowley because surprise he's alive i predicted it and then they kill eve because his blood had phoenix ashes in it, which is brilliant, but also super careless. And Cass gets his powers back, and then Cass meets up with Crowley and confirms what we knew already. And I think Crowley was working for Cass time. There you go. <sighs> <laughs> Your face is exactly the face that I make in the TikTok. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? And this isn't even the episode. This is the episode before the episode. Well, it has to set things up, right? I called it. Crowley's still alive. And you hinted at it, and I will say, very well done, madame, in that would Cass make that mistake? And like, you're right. I don't think he would make that mistake. He wouldn't screw up like that. 
because accidents don't just happen accidentally, as we've learned. Listen, Drew, if you go back and listen not only to, like, the episodes, but, like, our episodes, you are going to be so mad at me. <laughs> like, our friendship will be changed, I'm telling you right now. Oh, this show has already done that, and I would say for the better, honestly. <laughs> I don't know if this will be for the better. Let's go to the long game right away. All right, so this episode does close off the Eve storyline, which, you know, is very short. Very short. I felt it was really well done. I would have loved more of her. Not complaining. Continue. I have some thoughts that we'll explore in the season recap with regards to Eve. But uh, yeah, that's that closes off the Eve storyline. We start off the episode pretty strong with a couple of lines uh, that are like seared in like our collective brain cell in the supernatural fandom, where Dean goes like, it's not like Cass lives in my ass. And as soon as Cass appears behind Dean, uh, mind you, Dean goes, Cass, get out of my ass. To which Cass replies, I was never in your, and never finishes his (laughs) sentence. And I guess we'll have to talk about that in critical time, because to me, like, that is just, like, absolute unhinged writing. Like, there's no way that was written, and no one in the writer room went, like, are people going to misconstrue this? Well, we'll talk about it later. We meet Lenore one last time. We had seen her in season two, Bloodlust, uh, before Cass kills her. Okay, I didn't expect her again, so it's a bonus that we got any more of her. But, like... The visual effects on that death, that, like, flamed-out skull, legit amazing. Cass also spends most of the episode powerless, and we get the line, without your power, you're basically just a baby in a trench coat. (laughs) I realize I had heard this line countless times and never really knew what it was or, like, what specifically it referenced. Well, now you know. Dean names the, like, half-vampire, half-wraith monsters... Jefferson Starships, and this is not the last time that Dean will get to name a monster. Oh, that is so exciting, and I can't wait for the next time. But it's also the fact that everyone kind of just sticks with it throughout the episode. It's like... That's what Bobby said. Bobby's like, you get to name it, and that's what he named it, and people went along with it, and I love them all for it. It's it's every time, I think it's only twice that Sam, like, specifically calls them out, and both times it is some of the greatest, like, just emotion. I don't know why, but I always have to hold myself back because in my mind, they're not Jefferson, Jefferson starships. They're Jefferson starfishes fishes <laughs> or whatever. So I don't know. I have to like um, remind myself that they are Jefferson starships. Sorry, Dean. So like I mentioned earlier, like the boys finally come face to face with Eve, eventually killing her. Of course, no episode of Supernatural about a mother would be complete without a hefty dose of Mary Winchester. And today we even get Samantha Smith. Eve tells the brothers that Crowley is still alive. Called it. My boy ain't dead. She explains that Crowley wants souls because each soul holds power and that together the souls create like an energy source more powerful than the sun. The power of the sun in the palm of his hands. Dangerous. Eve also tells the brothers that one of the brothers that Sam and Dean rescued is actually her perfect, undetectable little monster. And by the time that the Scooby gang gets to them, they've already been, quote unquote, ganked by demons, right? This is likely Crowley sending them to go stop this, which I kind of love this building of like a monsters versus demons. Like it's really like a three-sided fight here. 
four-sided, I guess. Humans, angels, monsters, demons. There you go. Nobody, everybody's fighting for themselves. A real crossroads, if you ask me. Oh, look at that. Oh, my goodness. Uh, The episode ends with Bobby and Sam questioning Cass, and perhaps with good reason, as I'm sure we'll be discussing later. Because the last scene shows Crowley in the diner asking Cass, how many times am I going to have to clean up your messes? (gasps) How many think puzzle pieces fall into place here of like, you know, we clearly knew Cass was up to something and Rachel paid for that because she called him out for it. So clearly what he was up to was bad. And now we know it's working with Crowley. So Crowley's been trying to get all these souls seemingly for him or trying to get purgatory for himself and really it's to get the souls out of purgatory because Cass needs them what could it possibly be that Crowley's willing to side with Cass and vice versa for this like what is this ultimate ability or what is this ultimate end game for the two of them I just mm, I can't wait to find out I mean we have three episodes left right so we'll find out at some point we'll, we'll find out something <laughs> I hope for us anyway within the next couple of weeks <laughs> Our theme this week is concealment. It has a Latin root that means to hide completely. And the definition that jumped up at me when I was reading about it is one that comes from the 14th century, which is about keeping something secret or to forbear to divulge. And there's a lot of pretty words in there. So I, I, I love that one. But I think that like what's interesting to me here, especially in regards to this episode, is this idea of like actively hiding something from someone because there's just like so much of that going on in this episode for our characters. I always kind of look at our themes like like starting at our main focus like Sam and Dean and then moving outwards to see like where else it's relevant and like occasionally Bobby might surprise us and be much more relevant than me but really like Cass steals the show this week. Like the inspiration for that to be entirely honest, was like how Eve concealed her weapon within like the two brothers, right? So that's that's like the part of the narrative that kind of inspired this theme. And look at how much like we have in the notes in terms of like how that relates to the brothers and to Cass. So I think that's pretty cool. Do you want to get us started with Sam? I feel like Sam doesn't have much this week. Like his biggest thing is kind of this connection with Bobby where the two of them both sort of are putting the pieces together and going something seems off with Cass like they kind of start to see like there might be something hidden from us here and we'll get to Dean but I kind of love that Dean doesn't see it because it really does say like there is something to their relationship that there is either more trust or more you know like wiggle room and how much the wiggle one get away with whereas to Bobby and Sam, it really is just like any other person. So the fact that there might be something hidden there to them is, they see it more quickly than Dean does. Absolutely. Like, I think that Sam, throughout the episode, truly, is hiding a lot of his thoughts and feelings from Dean. And I would argue that it actually starts when Bobby tells Dean that he might have to make the call and Dean is all like huffing and puffing about it. And Sam says nothing. And I always found that really interesting. Like Sam is entirely silent during that time because like Bobby is there and he like opens the door for the conversation and Sam is like right there in the threshold, like just waiting for Dean to say something, like anything really. 
okay, this is gonna sound crazy, but like I've I've been watching my Get From Hell lately, and like every episode there's always like a moment of weight where like Jackson Galaxy, who is like the cat trainer, uh, is gonna set up the cat to see like if it's going to react or how it's going to react after like about a month of training or, or whatnot. There's like this wait to see if it's going to do what like he wants it to do. And I sort of feel like that's what's happening here. Like Bobby did the setup for Dean and Dean, like the traumatized cat that he is, like just doesn't take the food or like he doesn't go through the threshold or whatever, like whatever we want to think about here. Like, and Sam is just kind of left there waiting, you know, and, and, and this happens again later when Bobby raises questions about Cass at the end. And Sam reacts kind of the same way. And here he's not only silent, but he's like actively hiding his own thoughts and feelings. And, and he goes like, it's probably, it's probably nothing. It's nothing. Like, it, it's nothing. Obviously, nobody believes him, but like he tries to hide it. If we're looking at like a spectrum, there's Bobby who's suspicious. There's Dean who goes, nothing is wrong. And there's Sam who, while I believe, is leaning on the Bobby side of things, going like, yes, something's not adding up. He trusts Dean enough to say, if Dean trusts Cass, I trust Cass. Interesting. That's not how I saw it, but I can definitely see that. I think that Sam is lying. I think he's lying, but it's not like a a deceitful lie. Like he's not saying it to deceive anybody. I think he's saying like it as a mercy to Dean. Right? Like he's doing it entirely to protect Dean in that moment because nobody believes him when he's saying, oh, like, no, no, it's fine. It's probably nothing. Like Dean doesn't believe him. Bobby doesn't believe him. We don't believe him as the audience. Like we saw that Sam can be a really good liar in season four. And this isn't it. Like he's not, he's not trying to deceive him. He's trying to protect him. Like he's trying to protect his feelings. And, and ultimately, I think he's also trying to protect like his more profound bond with Cass. We've learned about Sam at this point that he is someone who is very intelligent. Like if something's up, he's going to put the pieces together. He is generally the one to solve the problems or find the answer to a puzzle. But it's almost like as if as much as he understands or feels that something isn't right, he's choosing not to look into it. How about Dean? Yeah. Do you want to get us started? Dean does a great job this week of being part comic relief. You know, his lines with the cast, his naming of a monster the way he did. But also acting as our straight man regarding cast, which is full of ironies uh, in this ongoing plot and like his secret plans. Dean acts oddly as a mirror this week to cast. Both are concealing the truth of their plans and are acting like no one else can know. Like a little bit of early season Sam with the whole like I have my own secrets and I can't tell you because I'm doing things my way both are concealing the truth of their plans and acting like no one else can know Dean's somewhat crazy and dangerous plan to dose his blood with phoenix ash and just bank on pissing Eve off enough to bite him is clever but clearly he understands how stupid of a plan it is that he doesn't want to tell anyone else he wants to keep it secret this is really not something that I have thought about before. So like, thank you for bringing it up. Like, I honestly can't even imagine like the train of thought of like, hmm, what if we can't shoot her? Maybe she'll eat us. So I should eat some of the Phoenix ash. Like, it's just, it sounds, it's unhinged when you think about it. And it worked. So good for him. But like, it's, anyway, 
I'm so sorry, but I also, I have to mention it. And I'm sure that health professionals can talk about that, like with more expertise. But like, every time I watch this episode, like I really have to suspend disbelief because like, just because you eat something doesn't mean it's going to end up in your bloodstream unless the human body can absorb it through digestion. And it would absorb like the nutrients of it, not the actual thing. Like you don't have carrots in your blood because you eat carrots. Like... (laughs) You have the nutrients of the carrot. So anyway, I this makes me cringe pretty hard every time I watch it. But, you know, it worked. This this feels to me like someone heard the term blood alcohol level and assumed it literally translated to the amount of alcohol <laughs> in your blood when you drink. And they were just like, and, and that sounds like Dean logic. And they're like, Dean would think that. It, let's just say it works. They had to make it work somehow. And it works with our theme and everything. But it's just like the amount... Anyway, moving on. <laughs> I secretly want the exchange next episode just really briefly of Sam being like, I can't believe that worked. Dean being like, well, it did. He goes, no, like scientifically, I can't believe that worked. <laughs> <laughs> just like me, the smart one. That don't science. No, that don't science at all. But like this, this isn't new for Dean, you know, like it technically wouldn't be for Sam. Both of them have done this before a lot. And just this finding themselves keeping a secret because it would cause too much controversy if it was brought up because again, they always feel like they can handle everything. They feel like they genuinely know what's going on and that their decision is the right one, but deep down don't want to have to have the argument about it. So they just don't talk about it. Um, All of this seems to be alluding to someone else's episode. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. There's another thing that I want to talk about when it comes to Dean concealing things, and that's his relationship with, or at the very least, like his feelings for Cass. Because like a lot of the comic relief that you mentioned briefly is Dean like trying to minimize and somewhat like conceal the nature of his relationship with Cass. And in the process, like he's sort of making it just like even more obvious like we've all either seen one of our friends do this or like maybe we've been the friend to do this when like we're like so hell-bent on being like no I don't like them I mean I like them but I don't like them like them like I love them but I don't love them love them like I have like a crush on them but it's not like a crush crush you know like so to me this also kind of makes me cringe in a whole different way, but only because I find that to be incredibly relatable personally. Like I am that friend, honestly. <laughs> like I, I mean, I'm a Dean Kinney. What, what can I say? But this is to say that like the same way that Sam was trying to conceal something and in the process, like he made it even more clear where he stood, like Dean is doing the same thing. No, I agree. We've all been there. It's that moment where you think you're being sly. You think you're getting away with it. But everyone is like 1000%. I know exactly what's going through your head. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, this episode is rife with it when it comes to Dean and Cass. Speaking of Cass, pretty sure I've said this three weeks running now. But there's some explaining to do. And even more than before, he's been hiding a lot more than we, Red Eye, knew about. Uh, I can assume that the dealing with Crowley and using him to find purgatory for Cass's soul-powered super whatever uh, is what Rachel came to him about. And so clearly Cass has been hiding more from us slash the brothers this last year or so. I feel like the Crowley torture dens were fueled by a deal made with Cass and Cass has been the mastermind this whole time. 
which means that I think next episode we are going to start talking about Cass as the villain for this arc, and I'm really not ready for that. I think that it's going to be really interesting for you to go back and rewatch this season, like, through this lens. Because, like, during Sam's villain arc, like, to use your language, right? Like, I'm, I'm not confirming nor denying anything. We knew what Sam was up to, but here we still don't really know. Like, we can connect some of the dots, but it sort of feels like we would need somebody to, like, sit down and look at the camera and, like, tell us, like, what's been happening, you know? And and we haven't had that. I swear to God, if that's how the next episode opens, I will scream. <laughs> <laughs> if the next episode is just Cass sitting down in front of a freaking tape recorder going, Dean, Sam, let me explain. Oh, my God. I mean, Supernatural's never done that. Never, they've never like broken the fourth wall in that way of having somebody like address the camera. Um, hello, the last angel caught on a sex tape or a porno. Oh yes, it's true. But I, yes, but he was talking to a camera that he that was in universe. Drew, it's not the oh, same. Oh no, but that's what I meant though. It would be like we'd be seeing it from the camera's point of view, like a talking head. But it would be an in-universe him recording a video like for the brothers. Okay, okay, and we would okay. just be seeing it in that vein of like you know explain. Let me explain a thing to you, the brother slash the audience stand in. All right, let's move on to critical time. All right, so this episode was written by Adam Glass, directed by John F. Showalter, and it originally aired on April twenty ninth, two thousand and eleven. I will never forgive them for the that first interaction of Cass and Dean. They'll never be forgiven. They will only be thanked. <laughs> All right, let's have a look at the Hunter's Journal. Mothers are magic. They truly have powers beyond our understanding. They're loyal and ferocious and will stop at nothing to protect those they love and care for. My own mother once ripped a snake clean in two for scaring me. In my childhood memory, it was a python that could have swallowed me whole twice over, but more than likely it was some sort of garden variety snake that would have sooner fled me trying to play with it before even considering nibbling on me. I've met a few moms in my hunts, when a child is targeted by something spooky lurking in the night. It's only a matter of time before the scarier thing is the mama bear protecting her cub. And while fighting the supernatural isn't for everybody, the mothers, both biological and adoptive, I've found myself working with, have been my favorite. Nothing beats a partner who knows her way around a shotgun blindfolded while tending to a wound, and with the other hand all the while kicking you her to-go bag full of ammo, first aid kits, and road snacks. Mothers are amazing. Amazingly powerful and brave. But also, also a little horrifying. So when the werewolf that just punched into view referred to the one I just shot as her baby, I have never been more horrified in my life. Wish me luck. Oh my goodness. Mama werewolf. Mama werewolf. I love it. I love it. My werewolves look like werewolves. Just saying. It might be text, but in my <laughs> mind's eye, they're werewolves. What would you like to share with us this week? All right. So I mentioned this in the long game already, but the writing of this episode is unhinged, especially when it comes to Dean and Cass. Like, it starts with the moment that Bobby tells Dean that he has to make the call. And that's in addition to what we've already talked about with the, like, casket on my ass kind of thing. But, like, at first, when Bobby tells Dean that he has to make the call, like, we, the audience, like, we're not entirely sure what it means. And we, we very, very, very quickly find out that it means praying to Cass. 
And the thing is that, like, nobody in the room is confused about what this means. Bobby, Sam, and Dean, like, they all know what it is. And I remember, like, the first time I watched it, I was like, make the call. What do you mean make the call? And I'm like, oh, calling Cass. Okay, okay, okay. Because, like, throughout the season, we've seen, like, Dean pray to Cass, like, time and time again. We've talked about it before. And Cass always answers. Even when he's busy with the Civil War in heaven, like, doesn't matter. He will be there. And so all three of them know that if they want Cass to show up, Dean has to, quote unquote, make the call. And that's followed by, you know, the whole casket on my ass exchange, which honestly, at this point, like, I'm not even going to take the time to go into because it's like, as the, as a, sorry, I just, this is riling me up. Because like, <laughs> if as a writer's room, you're going to make like, barely veiled anal sex jokes, like, I will be taking you to your word. You know, and what I'm seeing from this scene is Dean trying to deflect, Cass trying to say something, and then like a really awkward look from Dean that means like, oh God, please don't talk about this. So like the script at this point has layered like a close, profound bond, one might one might say, with like queer sexual innuendo. And, like, I have no reason not to read this as, like, oh, yeah, Dean and Cass fuck. Like, and, and not only that, but, like, everybody knows it in the room. Like, everybody knows about this. Like, no one is surprised by this exchange. And there's, like, the constant bickering throughout the rest of the episode. The baby in the trench coat comment. Cass is, like, soft little Dean, Dean moment, which is super well known in the fandom because, like, for some reason, like, you kind of hear, like, Misha's voice instead of hearing Cass's voice in that moment. And okay, I'm not crazy. I thought that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You hear, like, the Dean, Dean. Like, it's it's Misha's voice that comes out. And so it makes him seem, like, incredibly, like, soft and vulnerable in that moment. And then there's also Dean telling Cass, like, not to say I told you so. Like, all of that is, like, super, super intimate. Like, emotionally intimate, right? And so, again, like... Like, I read this relationship as sexual, but I also read it as as romantic and and very intimate. At the end of the day, this to me is like a perfect relationship for two characters who don't want to admit they're in a relationship. And like, there's no way you're doing it that well by accident for this long. And, and that's kind of the thing, right? Again, like if we're if we're looking at this as a quote unquote real story, like if I were to witness this, like that's immediately what I would think. I'm like, oh, okay, these people are like, have a thing going on. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. And I would move on. You know what I mean? Like, it's just how I, as a queer person, would read a situation like this unfolding in front of me. Oh, I've literally had this situation where I've seen two people do this and been like, it seems like there's something going on there. And they both vehemently deny it until I run into them several years later and they're like, oh yeah, we're together now. All right, let's go listen to what our community has to say. This week, we have a message from Star. And before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. To respond to anything we discussed today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Drew and I are going to be answering the question, what would you name a monster after for our Roadhouse supporters on our Impala Talk? Stay to the very end of the episode to hear a short clip. Hi, my name is Star, and I don't know how to start, so I'm literally just going to start. 
Um, I'm an essay survivor, and I absolutely hate how supernatural this joke's about it. Don't get me wrong, some jokes can be funny. I make jokes, it's a coping mechanism. Like, I'll stub my toe over on a bell of ass and deadpan, completely serious, in the middle of a conversation about my trauma. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And if the other person just stare at me like I'm an idiot, kind of the highlight of my day. Personally, I've always been a big fan of the We Did a Virgin Sacrifice. You, are you a virgin? Uh, maybe? What does the spell count as virgin? Because, like, yes, but no. Um, kind of trope. I think that's a very funny mental image. I think both those are utterly hilarious. But the joke Supernatural does, not so much. The one with Santa and a very supernatural Christmas, or the one Victor says to Dean when he's like, your dad probably touched you. I had to get up and walk around the first time I really heard that and didn't just have it play in the background without absorbing what was said. This isn't to say Supernatural should talk about sexual assault. That's ridiculous. But they shouldn't treat it as a joke. They treated Bella's very well. Like, obviously, there's the whole goading Dean and shooting her thing. But honestly, if I were put in Bella's situation, yeah, I'd probably make up some the same or some i'm trying to read this I, I wrote this all down and it's not working one second uh yeah i probably make up the same or similar story back to the jokes they do it so heavily that i an actual person who's been through this sometimes misses its essay then obviously feels like my stomach i realize but that's not the point for example the first episode with gabriel and the aliens yeah i don't think that was the say because that was such a joke i mean it does help that i'm very stupid with little hearts at the edges like dita's stupid with little hearts at the edges um and very much autistic and take things at the face value of course but the point stands that supernatural really really needs to start talking take these victims more seriously even dean when it's suspected he's doing tricks i don't think that was handled terribly not that it was handled mind you but he has hypersexuality and he knows what rufus looked like my point is that that was handled better than any sexual assault we see on the show so there's two points to this point one is sometimes i just need to ramble on actually talking to people is a ridiculous suggestion calling my therapist who said i could text her whenever insanity point two is please never change how you start the show when there's a heavy topic i always get nervous to skip episodes of anything because somehow i feel like i'm offending the person even though they have no way of knowing but you see, I don't mind it. that helps me a lot when there genuinely is an episode i can't listen to and i'm sure it does with many others this is an amazing podcast, and I look forward to hearing more. Now, I feel uncomfortable talking about serious stuff, so Marie, thoughts on cast loving guinea pigs? And there is a correct response. Drew, did you read the... What did, yeah. what did you think of four-letter word if you did read the first chapter like Marie suggested? They could take over for me doing the uh, recaps, I think. I've been challenged. Yes, I think, you, I think you've been challenged right here. <laughs> I love this. Thank you so much, Star, for the voicemail. I love when people reach out and share their stories with us. I love seeing the show and our conversation through other people's eyes in a myriad of different subjects and ways and personal connections. And you are right. I, I think I'm not apologizing for the show, but it is a sign of its time because a lot of shows in this time period really use sexual assault as a joke. I know we've brought it up several times in the show and how it is done very in incredibly poor taste. Uh, even the times they try to play off like the old lady grabbing Sam's ass, like, again, not okay. But when they do breach it, those rare times where it's done with a bit more understanding, where it almost feels like it's, they're skirting it in a way, but still making it known, it can be done well. I don't think it was ever done great, but done better. So I, I do love calling attention to that, and thank you for doing that. Uh, and for sharing with us. And I, I'm i with you. I am someone, while I don't have many traumas to joke about, I do like taking my humor, my personal defacing humor, a little dark sometimes. It's fun. But to answer your final question, yes, I did read the first chapter of Four Letter Word. I know I need to go back and read more of it. But wow, was it fun. <laughs> 
I think I literally texted Mary. I'm like, I did not realize how much smut you were sending me today. I approve, but it's smut. Star, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us. I completely agree with everything that you said about um, the way that Supernatural handles sexual assault. We're going to have a very specific storyline happening soon, frankly, with regards to sexual assault. And I've hinted at that already, Drew, so this isn't like news news, but we are going to be talking about it a lot more. And the way that Supernatural handles it is abhorrent, in my opinion. Because at the end of the day, like when you're not taking it seriously, when you're making jokes about it, it hurts everybody. It hurts absolutely everybody. It hurts the people, first off, the people who have lived through the situation, who have who are victims, who have survived. And it also hurts like the general public who then thinks that this is something that's acceptable to do. And I think that sometimes it's actually quite nice to see it. And I'm not saying that media should always be like a model, but I just think that there are some topics that I think at some point warrant to be taken seriously. And I think that making jokes about it is probably like the worst way that you can handle it because you, yeah, you're doing everybody a disservice basically. So thank you Star for reminding us of that. And thank you for uh, showing us some love with regards to our disclaimers at the very beginning of our episodes when when they need to happen. Now, for your questions about guinea pigs, I think <laughs> there, I know that there is a right answer to that. I wonder if we have the same right answer to it <laughs> because I think that Cass would absolutely would be very intrigued by guinea pigs at first and would just like not understand them. You know, like it would just be like, what are these things? Like he would have like a couple in a cage and like just not know anything about it. And then he would realize that like, Either they're not thriving or there's something and he'd be like, must learn everything I can about these little beings. And then he would end up like building this entire like complex um, for them, for them to like run around. And he would get them like the perfect, the exact perfect number of like litter mates, you know, to have so they are thriving at optimal <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm being very permissive with myself because that's what I would do if I had a lot of time on my hands. But that's basically how I think that Cass would feel about guinea pigs. Like very unsure at first and then would just know everything about them and would just like carry them like his babies kind of thing. <laughs> I'm going to say it's funny because you, you started talking about it. I'm like, oh, I have a mental image and you painted the exact picture I painted. Yes, yes exactly. And then you went a step further of him like, like, literally, you know, they keep going back to visit wherever he's stuck on Earth for some time. And it's just, like, progressively more like, oh, the entire house has a tunnel system through it. Not just a room. Oh, there's more of them. And, like, he knows all their names, their genealogy, yes, their course. background, their personalities. And then finally they need him to come help. And he shows up with one of those, like, backpacks with like, the clear bubble in the back. With, like, he's like, oh, I had to bring Fred. He can't be without me. Like, he gets too anxious. It, it wouldn't be fair to him. A hundred percent. And it would drive Dean crazy and he would be so supportive of it because he knows that it's important to him. You know, like Dean would be like quietly seething, but like try to be supportive and Sam would be a thousand percent on board because it pisses Dean off. <laughs> Sam's like, oh my God, did you name one after Dean? That's so amazing. <laughs> oh, which one is he? Perfect brother-in-law. So Drew, what is your reflection and call to action this week? Everyone has secrets. At the end of the day, I have secrets. You have secrets. Everyone has secrets. There are things we keep to ourselves because they're personal, things that we don't want to bring up or we bring up with very few people. 
And it's everyone's right to keep their own secrets and to keep information that is personal to them personal as much as they need to. It is no one's right to know all of your secrets. If you choose to share them, that's great. So really, it is just a reflection to remember that you can't know everything. I can't know everything. No one can know everything. And to be able to live with that knowledge that there are things that I may never know or may not be privy to. And at the same time, there are certain people who I may meet who may never know things about me or things that I keep with me that I will never divulge or I will divulge to only the right people and that it's okay to be that way. Not You don't need to be an open book for everyone all the time, though I can be quite an open book in a lot of cases. Well, I mean, some things, some things need to remain our own, not because, and that was something that Elena Huffman said apparently to Misha Collins and he he like really got stuck on this idea and I'm like I love that he says like it's some things have to remain your own not because they're a secret but because they're sacred and I I, I fully believe that I, that's I like very that. important to me I truly love that thank you and do you have a reflection and call to action this week well, I guess this is a bit of a long time coming. And I think that like reflecting on this episode has kind of like brought the thoughts like at the surface. But I I remember when we started this podcast and I was like so tentative about talking about Dean's queerness and how I perceived him. And like that's really transformed over the last two and a half years that we've been doing this. I think that that's been pretty visible to like anybody who's listening. And I've been feeling like pretty secure in voicing like what I think like pretty loudly and proudly, but like lately there's been like a few instances that have kind of given me pause and made me think and reflect in terms of like, am I so focused on this reading that like I'm not seeing other possible readings of Dean, for example. And I've come to the conclusion that like, yeah, that might be the case. And I don't care. I don't care in the sense that like, this is what I have to bring to this table, to this conversation, and other people can make other claims and other readings for themselves should they want to. And like my understanding of supernatural like doesn't need to account for every single reading of the characters. And so I feel called to continue to be loud and proud about the fact that I see Dean as queer and that his queerness is not concealed in the subtext, but that it's very much present in the text. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Vigourou. Thank you to everyone supporting us on Coffee or Patreon, and an extra thank you to our Bunker supporters, Katira, L, and Jeremiah Thomas. This week, we'd like to thank Star for their message. You can find the links to all our social media and our merch store at CarryingWayward.com. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to us. And if you like Carrying Wayward and you'd like to support us in our project to go through all 15 seasons of Supernatural, you can support us through Coffee or Patreon, and you can find those links at CarryingWayward.com. Carry on our wayward friends. I love this, and it's all, it's like, You've, you've heard those stories of people who have, like, they discovered a new, like, amoeba or something, and they've named it after Pikachu because they're Pokemon fans. Like, that gets my heartstrings hugged.